Welcome back to I Want That Too, which is an ongoing podcast series that focuses on all things Disney merch related. I'm entertainer writer Jim Hill, and with me today is my co-host, the lovely Lauren Hersey. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited to be here. Okay. Now, since this show is supposed to go live on March 1st, 2024, and since March comes in like a lion, well, I thought, Lauren, we'd start things off by talking about Disney's The Lion King. Absolutely. And Jim, do you know it has been 30 years since the original animated movie hit theaters? And that was the start of Disney's what is now a billion dollar empire. And yes, we are talking billion with a B. It's wild to think about, I mean, like, I'm still remembering like being a kid and going to the theater and then trying to get my mom to go to Burger King to get all of the cool Lion King toys. Like for us, for my generation, it was more than a movie. It was like really an event. It just hit different back then. And I mean, it was like a really long time ago. Oh, yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I, I, uh, June of 1994. Yes. You know, uh, by the way, here's a fun fact. When the studio first announced that this project was in the works for feature animation back in uh, late 1991, early 1992, well, first of all, back then this movie was called King of the Jungle. Okay, so that blows my mind. It's crazy because I can't think of anything other than it being called The Lion King. Well, the reason they 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 opted to go with uh, initially king of the jungle but there was just one tiny problem with that that name lions don't actually live in the jungle they live out on the savanna uh, so for accuracy's sake early in production they changed king of the jungle to lion king since we're talking about the early early days of this film's development which is when a lot of disney a-listers who were just rolling off of beauty and the beast um, they took a look at the, the early concept art and the character drawings for what then again was called King of the Jungle and said, you know what, I think I'm going to go work on Pocahontas instead. Wait, wait, like, why would somebody want to leave the Lion King project and go work on Pocahontas? Well, all right, now think about it. You're an animator. And you have a choice for the next three years to either draw a character that has two legs or, or draw one that has four legs, which sounds like more work. Four legs, of course. <laughs> so, yeah, you're not wrong. But uh, again, to be fair here, this early, early version of The Lion King didn't have Timon and Pumbaa, didn't have Elton John and Sir Tim Rice's Oscar-winning score, and it was going to be a far more serious animated feature. In fact, uh, back then, this was basically described as a, a claw and tooth version of Bambi. Ugh, okay, well, I guess I can see then why a lot of the A-list animators were jumping ship and decided to go work on Pocahontas. Makes sense. Well, well the other thing about Pocahontas is that uh, the perception at the studio was that, that was going to be the important movie. And I, you got to remember this same window of time, uh, late 91, early 92, Beauty and the Beast had just come out and it made a buttload of money. And more to the point, Beauty and the Beast was the very first feature length animated film to ever get nominated for a Best Picture Oscar. But it didn't win, right? Like, dusting off the history books here, I think that it was Silence of the Lamb 
that took home the Best Picture Award in 92. And it also won an Oscar for Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Director, Best Screenplay, all the best. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. But but here's the thing. The thinking at Disney was, well, Beauty and the Beast, while it did take, to, take home two Academy Awards, uh, one for Best Song and one for Best Score, the thinking in-house was this animated feature had come close to taking home a, a Best Picture Oscar. So the powers that be at Disney at that time looked at Pocahontas with its beautiful, powerful title character who represented America's indigenous people. And, and it had this story about embracing nature and ecology. And, and, and again, the, the message of how hate and fear is wrong and how we almost learned to get along. Again, feeling in-house was the Academy would just have to give a movie like that the best picture Oscar, you know, that it, you know, it would be just too important to pass up come award season. But that actually didn't happen either. Yeah. And that's probably a story that Mr. Taylor and I should probably tell over at fine tuning. All right, all right. Anyway, back to the Lion King now, because of all Disney's, you know, excuse me, not all, a lot, a lot of Disney's A-listers, uh, the animators went to work on Pocahontas. That then gave a lot of the studio's younger artists and animators the chance to step out of the shadows, show what they could do with the, the characters in the story of The Lion King. And that, for a time anyways, was Disney's top grossing feature-length animated film. Oh, yeah, yeah. It it blew right past what Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin had earned at the box office. I, I want to say it sold more than 750 million worth of tickets worldwide, you know, three quarters of a billion. Which is actually less than half of what the Broadway musical version of The Lion King has earned since the Tony Award winning show first began running in New York way back in November 1997. And didn't I just read that this still running production is the highest grossing musical in all of Broadway history. Yep. Uh, to date that show, which now has more than 10,300 performances under its belt has earned 1.9 billion in ticket sales. And, and uh, going back to billion with a B, right? <laughs> Billion with a B. All right. And more to the point, it's still touring. In fact, the national tour just opened at the Orpheum in Omaha, uh, in Omaha, Nebraska, yesterday, February 19th, uh, 29th. And we'll be running at that theater through March 24th. And later this year, we're going to see this franchise expand a bit with the opening of Mufasa, the Lion Cake. I just have to say like Mufasa like that. It just rolls out. Mufasa. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I, but and, and what's interesting about this, this is a prequel to that CG version of The Lion King that Disney released to theaters back in, in July of 2019. And uh, which, by the way, also did amazing uh, business at the box office. That one sold 1.6 billion worth of tickets. Billion with a B. Worldwide. <laughs> And with the title like Mufasa at the Lion King, well, I just have to assume the prequel is going to tell us the backstory of Simba's dad. Yeah, and supposedly how Scar got his name and, and the trademark Scar. So, All right, well, I'm here for it. When's it supposed mm. to hit theaters? Uh, December 20th of this year, uh, 2024. 
Okay. Considering, though, that the 30th anniversary of The Lion King and the upcoming Mufasa of The Lion King for the 2024 holiday season, I mean, it looks like we're about to see a comeback in Lion King merch. I'm excited about that. I just took a quick peek at the Disney store and they have everything from the original 1994 animation to the 1997 Broadway show to the 2019 CGI version. They got it all. So whatever your favorite Lion King flavor is, Disney, I mean, no shocker here, has you covered. And as far as the release date for Mufasa approaches, I bet we'll be seeing all types of new cool stuff. And the beauty of I Want That Too, I mean, that's like the beauty of the show, right, Mr. Hill? That it is. So, yeah, this is the place where we'll do the deep dive on all of your favorite merch. But but again, uh, but before we get to the news portion of today's show, we got to take a, a moment and acknowledge this show sponsor. Uh, I Want That Too is brought to you by touringplans.com. Touring plans can help you save time and money the next time you're down in Orlando visiting all of the theme parks that were built around the city beautiful. So, before you book your very next flight to Central Florida, please check them out at touringplans.com. Of course, me personally, whenever I'm headed down to Orlando, I got to swing by the travel size aisle of our local Target and pick up a teeny tiny tube of sunscreen, which I always somehow manage to lose somewhere between my house and the hotel. Yeah, Jim, I don't know if you have any trips planned, but have you been to Target lately? Oh, God. Nancy and I are, are at our local Target at least two and three times a week. I mean, we're on a first-name basis with some of the team members there. Oh, Target's my happy place, too. I love it. So is mm -hmm. your Target one of the ones that got its own, like, Disney store right within Target? No, nah, sadly, no. And by the way, what Ms. Hersey is referring to here is a program that Disney and Target announced back in August of 2008. 19. Uh, the idea was that two of America's favorite companies, the Mouse and Target, were going to team up. The original plan, as I understand it, was a pilot program of 25 Disney stores that were going to be built inside of a standard Target store. Mind you, these weren't going to be all that big, just like 750 square feet. And they then feature only 450-ish um, Disney-related items. But of those 450 Disney-related items, 100 of them would be Target exclusives. Yep, that was the plan uh, as first announced back again in August of, of 2019. And I want to say that the very first of these Disney stores inside of Target, uh, they opened in early October of that same year, 2019. Okay, I remember that. So what happened after that? Well, for starters, the guy who was championing this idea was, was Bob Chapek. Yeah, we all know that guy. He was the CEO of the Walt Disney Company for what, like a hot minute, maybe like two years and some change. Uh, you're not wrong. And you also have to remember that JPEG's stint as the big cheese at Disney officially got started in February of 2020, which was just before the world pandemic 
got a, underway and then disrupted, well, not just the theme park world and the movie business, but retail as well. And for months and months and months. So with COVID starting to shut everything down in March of 2020 and the Disney stores inside the Target program just getting started in October of 2019, those, you know, 25 pilot stores, I'm just going to have to guess that like it probably didn't end so well. Yeah, this idea, as promising as it sounds, stumbled coming out of the gate and never really recovered. And by the time the retail world was on the mend, at least here in the States, Bob Chapek was out as Disney's CEO and Bob Iger was back in. And I'd have to imagine that with all the retail efforts champion now gone, the Disney store within a Target idea then stopped being one of Disney's top priorities. Yeah. Uh, but this is where things get interesting, because if you now Google Disney store at Target, you're then taken to a page on the official Target website where you can now find all sorts of Disney store and Target exclusive items. I mean, things like clothing and accessories, stuffed animals and plush, dress up and, and costume. So what you're saying is it's not dead yet. The Disney store in Target idea lives on, just not in the physical stores. Yeah. I mean, if you go online, it's still a living, breathing thing. In fact, if you go to the Disney Store at Target webpage right now, the thing that's being hyped uh, right now at the top of the page is merch associated with Disney's most recent full-length animated feature, Wish. Which became available as a digital release back on January 23rd. That was like Prime Video, Apple TV, Voodoo, but it actually won't be available as a physical purchase, like a Blu-ray and 4K Ultra HD or something like that, or as a DVD until almost two weeks from now, which would be like March 12th. Yeah. And what's kind of sad about this. Well, did you see the news last week about how Disney is now going to be outsourcing a big chunk of its home entertainment business to Sony Pictures Entertainment, which means in sometime in the not so distant future, it'll be Sony that will be manufacturing and distributing and marketing Disney's physical media, the, its Blu-rays and DVDs. Yeah, that's kind of wild. So that would make the Blu-ray of Disney's Wish a real collector's item, the end of the line, so to speak. Well, given that this Disney-Sony Pictures Entertainment deal literally just got announced, I would imagine that there are other titles that Walt Disney Studios Home Entertainment already has in its production pipeline that will still make their way to the marketplace over the, the coming months. But but yeah, Wish is going to be one of the last pieces of physical media that are actually produced by Disney. But a moment ago, we were also talking about the digital release of Wish. Oh, yeah, that, that's true. But it's important to point out here that that part of the business, the digital media end of things, Disney is still hanging on to maintaining control over. It's just the physical media that, that Sony Pictures Animation will, will be taking control of. They'll, they'll be the ones who will be sending those Blu-rays and DVDs to retailers and distributors. Sony will be the one who will be making this stuff available to consumers. 
Okay. And does that include Disney's backlog of titles like Frozen and Moana, like my personal faves? Well, that's my understanding. I mean, after all of the Disney-produced inventory gets sold through, uh, at that point, any new Blu-rays or DVD releases of those titles uh, that would wind up on store shelves would have to have been produced by Sony Home Entertainment. Wow. I mean, given how fierce the Walt Disney Company has historically been about protecting its intellectual property, I honestly never thought I'd see something like this. I mean, first Steamboat Willie slips into the public domain, and now this? And don't forget that Bob Iger recently said that Disney would begin licensing content to Netflix. Though, which remember that that's Disney Plus's direct competition. You know, it is kind of a wild world here. So to be fair, though, we should note that Iger specifically said when it came to the stuff that Disney is looking to license to Netflix, we're not talking about anything associated with the company's top franchises like Star Wars, Marvel or Pixar. Not to mention Minnie Mouse, which, as I understand, Lauren will be talking about in the second half of today's show. That indeed is true. But before we get to this topic, here's a quick word from today's sponsor. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back. Okay, now as for the second half of today's I Want That Too, well, as they say, confession is good for the soul. And on this next part of the show, Lauren has a confession to make. All right, spill it, Ms. Hersey. (laughs) Jim is not wrong. I do indeed have a personal confession to make. It is my undeniable obsession with many years, you know, the kind if you've been to the parks in the last like 15 years, you've seen them. A lot of times they're glittery, young, old men, women, everybody is like sporting some many years. And for me, I think I might actually have a serious problem. I just cannot help myself. Well, I mean, again, they are iconic. And I, by the way, I have seen part of Lauren's uh, collection of, of these uh, Minnie Mouse ears, and it's impressive to say the least. So let's start with the, what started this fascination. Okay. So we're going like back in history again. And it was one of our first trips to. Disney World as a family with kids. And it all started with a single pair. Um, and they actually weren't even bought for me. I was buying them for my five-year-old daughter at the time. And if you're wondering how I ended up with the Disney ear obsession and not her, I just have to speak to all of the parents for a second out there. Like when a kid loses interest uh, of a toy or an article of clothing loses its purpose, 
it immediately gets put on the parents. And, you know, it just happened to be me with some sparkly, like red and black mini ears. And this was long before you saw all the cute influencers in the parks, like doing it. Like I was not cool by any means. Like I was just a tired mom <laughs> trying to make it through the day. Um, so, you know, after, after that, like, I actually was like, oh, these are pretty cute. And, you know, for our next dozen trips or so, I was still in the era of getting our family, like, matching outfits. And Lainey and I started getting matching mini ears. And when my little guy came along, um, he, you know, got the cute little Mickey hat. We have this precious picture of him on Main Street, just like the back of his head. And we got the Mickey ears with his first haircut. So they're a pretty big uh, part of our family. You know, I, it's so special to me, Jim. I am wondering, have you or Nancy ever like rocked some mini ears or Mickey ear hats in the park? Now, Nancy has. Me, not so much. But but, but there was a very good reason for that. Uh, hang on. Uh, let me demonstrate. I, I brought a visual aid. Okay, <laughs> here we go. All right. So. As you can see, I have this oversized cassava. So whenever I put on Mickey Mouse ears, it actually looks like I'm rocking a Mickey Mouse yarmulke. So, so. I just think you look so great. <laughs> oh, if you're if you're listening to this as a podcast, please go over to Jim Hill Media on YouTube to see the spectacle. It will be worth it. Um, but anyways, if you have ever headed down to you know Orlando for the holidays, like now you are good to go. Well, again, leaning into the Yamaka joke, Mazeltov, you know, a Mazeltov. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I'm okay. picking these things off before a high wind comes up. Okay. Anyway, they're off. Okay. So. <laughs> All right. Back to my mini ears collection. Over the years, I have found myself hunting for unique designs everywhere. Like I get them in the park. I go on Etsy. Like even Claire's at the mall has mini ears. You know, there is just something about finding that perfect pair, whether it's the quality, the design, or just the way they make you feel. And it's not just about buying from the official stores, right? I, I've heard you mention homemade ones as well. Oh my gosh, Jim, you have no idea. There is a whole community out there crafting their own versions of many years. Me, I'm not making them. I'm just buying them. But actually, my first pair of homemade ears has a tie to you. Okay, now I'm intrigued. Do tell. Okay, so this is a stretch, but follow me. So my first pair of homemade ears were made by a lady named Mary. And these ears were really cute and special at the time since Disney has come out with their own version. But they were donuts. And you know, Wait here for a second, though. It's not your Homer Simpson obsession that is actually how this ties back to you. These ears were the absolute best because, like, they didn't squeeze your brains out like the ones that you get in the Disney park sometimes. And bonus points, you know, for, for Mary, I felt great buying ears from her because she was an amazing human. She was so kind. And we just really kind of hit it off. 
And Mary was from Indy. And I just happened to be making a trip to the Disney Indy meet. Um, so I suggested that we meet up. And indeed, we did meet up. And at that very same event, back in like 2018, I think, I met someone else for the first time. Me? Yep, it was you. And I have a picture to prove it. I remember meeting you, Nancy, Aaron Adams. And I mean, look at us now. Wow. Well, it is a small world after all. So let me ask, do you have a favorite pair? <laughs> uh, now that one's a little tougher. Um, it's kind of like choosing a favorite child, Jim. I don't know. But if I had to pick just one, and not just for how they look, but the story um, would be the rose gold ears. Uh, you know, I got them at the height of the rose gold craze. Like at this time, scoring these ears was like scratching off a winning lottery ticket. It was absolute madness in the parks. And I remember like at this time back in the theme parks, it was before everything was on Shop Disney. There was like a shop, the theme parks app. And so you would go in the parks and you would look for what you were looking for. And it would tell you where in the park those items were. And everywhere I looked while I was down there in the stores, they all said they were sold out. And I'm pretty sure we left Magic Kingdom to follow a tip from a cast member that said that they may have had some at Animal Kingdom. So long story short, I just, I had to have them and I ended up getting them in Animal Kingdom. Like it was like my joyous day at the theme parks. Jim, do you remember the craze? I, okay. The weird part of this is I have a story that literally runs parallel to your story. Okay. So picture <laughs> this summer of 2017 i'm down at walt disney world at the absolute height of this craze I, I and in fact oddly enough tying back to the beginning of today's show i'm there for a lion king related press event um and and in fact at that thing i i actually got to sit down with ernie sarbella the voice of pumba who was the nicest guy he's exactly who you'd want the voice of pumba to be all right but anyway at that event, Drew Taylor, my co-host of Fine Tuning, is actually down in Orlando at the same time, attending the very same event. And he wants to get a set of these same rose gold Minnie Mouse ears for his lovely bride, Katie. Think about it. You're working with the same park app, which is useless, okay? And, and Drew's dealing with the same thing. But Drew, Drew is smart. Somehow, he and he's not willing to, to rush from store to store around looking for this. He gets a hold of a list of the phone numbers for every single store on <gasps> Disney World property. And so while we're, and we're literally in this room at the Nomad Lounge waiting for the opportunity to do these interviews, at the press event 
And Drew systematically is going through the list, calling every single store and going, hi, do you have the rose gold ears? Oh, no, you don't. Okay, thank you. Moves to the next number. And so anyway, all right. So now here's here's what I found fascinating because you found them at Animal Kingdom. He couldn't, you know, he didn't find them there, but he found them at Animal Kingdom Lodge. You know, he, he called, I want us called the, uh, say it's the Zawadi Marketplace, uh, the store there off of the main lobby and a cast member on the phone says, well, yes, we do have some. And he's like, please, please put one behind the counter. I will be there later today to pick this up. And sure enough, that that's how uh, he got his uh, rose gold ears for his lovely bride, Katie. So again, moral of the story here, again, uh, Drew's a smart guy, very smart guy. And so that is honestly the, 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 the way you have a successful podcast. You always partner pe- with people who are smarter than with you, which uh, brings us back to the lovely Lauren Hersey and her oversized collection of Minnie Mouse ears. Oh, Joe, that was a heck of a story, like mind-blowing stuff there. But good on Gr- Drew for getting his wife those ears. All right, so I have one more burning question, Jim, for you. Because like when I signed up to do this podcast with you, I'm like, I have to ask you all the questions that I've been asking you all this time, and you always have a really good answer. So my burning question is... Why, Jim, if you go to the Disney parks, is the is the tag on the mini ears so long? It's like the size of a CVS receipt. Do you have any idea? Well, I, now where this gets genuinely interesting is supposedly those crazy long retail merchandise tags. They actually do date back to the summer of 2017. Again, when, when the rose gold Minnie Mouse ears were huge. Uh, and so the way the story goes, there was so much guest demand for these things that, that Disney felt they needed a far better understanding going forward of, of where inventory was located on property. And, and the only way to do that was to put more information on the tag that was attached to a retail item. Now, um, now where this gets interesting is while the computers that keep tabs on where pieces of inventory when it comes to retail are located on Disney property. Uh, they're happier. The people who actually have to stock the shelves at stores like, uh, say, the World of Disney at Disney Springs, they don't like these long merchandise tags at all. But why? Like, how does that impact them? Well, now, now think about it. All right. You know, what they're saying is that these far longer tags are actually making it more difficult to stock the physical shelves. I mean, these items with the longer tags, they take up more room, which is why I've been hearing that Disney consumer products, uh, again, that's consumer products, experiences and parks, the full name of that unit, part of the company, they're actually taking this criticism they're getting from the rank and file to heart. And they're revisiting this longer retail tag idea that, that in fact, what I hear is that they've been exploring the idea of, of taking that very same information and then putting it on a QR code uh, that would be attached to the item. Well, that sounds like a really smart solution, especially since we're in 2024 for this long retail tag problem that has been plaguing me for years. But 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 here's the problem. 
in order to bring the solution to the field, first, all of the scanners on Disney property have to be updated to accept this particular QR code. And then before you do that, you have to in, in update the software that's used at at the warehouses at Walt Disney World and Disneyland where all of the merch is kept prior to going out into the parks. Okay, so this would be a multi-step process, probably in Disney's time, taking a few years before it actually goes into the parks and the guests would see it, right? Yeah, so, all right, exactly. So, long story short, we're stuck with long retail tags for at least another couple of years. Well, I guess we're going to just have to keep asking the cast members to cut off those long tags. I was actually just packing and getting ready for our trip, and I was pulling out all my ears, and not one of them had one of those long tags. They had all been cut off by the cast members. So thank you for your service, cast members mm -hmm. listening. Um, cool. But, I mean, it's kind of funny to think about, like, these modern theme park problems I bet Walt and Roy were not sitting around in like the 60s talking about many years. Now, it's funny you should say that. Do you have any idea when the ears first showed up in the theme parks? Well, Jim, I have to imagine that they have something to do with the original Mickey ears. And you can still see some of them floating around the park today. But I have no idea when they came to the parks, I'm assuming like when it opened. Well, all right. Now the mini years, they came to the park eh, about the mid 1980s, but Mickey years, actually they go all the way back to the Mickey mouse club. Now, and you remember that, right? Oh yeah. 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 Of course. Like that's Maya, Brittany, JT, Christina. Uh, okay. Hang on. Uh, I'm talking about Cubby, Darlene, Annette, you know, Oh, well, you say tomato, I say tomato. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, back in the 1950s, when the original version of the Mickey Mouse Club TV show debuted, um, well, the adult host of the show was Jimmy Dodd. But Mr. Dodd was ably supported by the big musketeer himself, one Roy Williams. Now, Roy... He was a longtime employee of Disney Studios. Walt actually hired him back in the 1930s. Uh, Williams was, was a gag man who, who contributed many memorable bits to the shorts and the features that, that Disney produced back in the 1940s and the 1950s. But that's more of the behind-the-scenes role, right? So how did Roy Williams wind up in front of the camera on the Mickey Mouse TV show? Well... Okay, because Roy was a quick draw, and 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 not in the the gun sense, but but that if you handed him a marker and a sketch pad, uh, he could knock out an on model drawing of your favorite Disney character in under a minute. Uh, which, to be honest, back in the nineteen fifties, was a bit that really played well on television. So we were just talking about Mickey ears, though. How does the big musketeer factor into the fashion item? Okay, now, now remember what I said about Roy being a gag man who, who worked on Disney shorts back in the 30s and the 40s. Well, there was this gag that Williams remembered from an early, early Mickey Mouse shirt. I, I think this one was called The Carnival Kid, and 
I want to say it was released in, in 1929. Okay, so since Steamboat Willie came out in November of the previous year, which is 1928, mm -hmm. this would have been fairly early on in Mickey's career, right? Exactly, and 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 you know the rules, you know, the, the, when they applied to Mickey, were still being written at this time. So, um, I, so there's this weird moment in Carnival Kid where Mickey goes to tip his hat, but he's not wearing a hat. So Mickey grabs one of his ears and basically lifts up the top of his head. Uh, so it's the top of the head and the two ears, and he, he tips that like a hat. And, again, <laughs> kind of surreal. Uh, anyway, Roy remembers this bit. And so when the folks at Disney Studios are designing a costume for the kids who will be playing the Musketeers on the Mickey Mouse Club TV show to wear, well, it, it's Williams who reportedly suggested to the people who, who are producing the TV show, Bill Walsh and that bunch, that, you know, that, hey, you know, maybe let's circle back on this gag from Carnival Kid and give each one of the kids who play the Musketeers in the show a, a hat that looked that was just like the one that Mickey lifted off of his own head back in the short in, in 1929. Well, that Roy, that was a heck of an idea. And I mean, like, so back a couple years ago when I was working for an ABC affiliate and I have no idea what, why Disney did this, but they just sent us a box of like classic Mickey ears and like maybe the ones from the Mickey Mouse Club TV show in the 1950s. And they were, to be honest, they're like a little weird looking. Well, yeah, no, no, that's because early, early on, these things were just designed to, to look good on television and you have to remember, on the early Mickey Mouse Club show, these kids did a lot of dancing. So, and and they didn't want anything to weigh them down or that sort of thing. So these things are made of really light, flimsy fabric, and um, and, and more to the point, they're held into place with bobby pins. So, uh, they they just don't look like the uh, the, the the ones we know from the park these days. Okay, so the Mousers debut on the Mickey Mouse Club TV show, which debuted on ABC when? Oh, okay. That that would have been October of 55. And this is roughly two and a half months after Disneyland Park opened. All right, so I'm trying to follow the dates here. So then when did Mickey ears first go on sale at Disneyland? Well, okay, so that wasn't until after the Mickey Mouse Club TV show established itself as a hit. Uh, by the way, it ran on ABC every weekday between 5 and 6 p.m. And, and so once it was hit, people be then began asking for these hats at Disneyland Park. Now, <laughs> where this gets interesting is in this very same window of time. That trio of Davy Crockett episodes, the ones that became, you know, I mean, a, a monster hit on television in the, the mid 50s. That's when they began airing on the Disneyland TV show. Uh, again, also on ABC. And so now, in addition to people coming to Disneyland asking where they could get a mouse, set of mouse ears, uh, there's also hundreds of folks who are now scouring the stores at the park hoping to find an authentic Davy Crockett coonskin cap. Okay. And so I'd imagine that it took Disney a while to set up an official manufacturer for all those Mickey ears and coonskin caps. 
So the earliest that things would have gone on sale in Disneyland would have been what, like spring of 1956 ish? Exactly. And, and which means, by the way, if the mouse wants to cash in on the 70th anniversary of the debut of these two very weird pieces of headgear, they're going to have to wait till 2026. Which would be one year after the park itself celebrates its 70th, right? And since we're talking about celebrations, last month we shined a spotlight on Valentine's Day and and the merch the mouse produced to cash in on that holiday. But, you know, Laura, we have yet to talk about what comes in the wake of February 14th. Which is what? Uh, People going to the dentist because of all the Valentine's Day chocolate they, you know, took to the face. (laughs) No, no, no. We're not talking cavities. We're talking proposals. Uh, you know, and, and if there are any, I want that viewers out there who are now planning a wedding on the heels of a Valentine's Day proposal. Oh, oh, did you see that new set of dresses that Disney Weddings just made available for purchase? Oh, my gosh. You, you're actually right. You were right. We do need to talk about the Disney villains themed wedding dresses. How could I forget? <laughs> Okay, and you heard that right, folks. Ms. Hersey just said, in the latest collection of dresses that Disney Weddings unveiled late last week, among the dozen or so dresses that are inspired by Disney princesses, there are four now that take their inspiration from Disney villains. And those four were, I want to say, Ursula from The Little Mermaid, Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty, the Evil Queen from Snow White, and the Seven Dwarfs. And am Mm -hmm. I remembering correctly, Jafar from Aladdin? Hey, come on. Agrabah's royal vizier's got a lot of fans, too. And, And by the way, speaking of Aladdin, we also forgot to mention that the Broadway musical version of Aladdin will be celebrating its 10th anniversary at the new Amsterdam Theater later this month on March 20th, to be exact. Do we know if Disney Theatrical is going to create any special merch to commemorate the occasion? To be honest, I'm not sure, but but I can give them a call between now and when we record uh, the next installment if I want that to, and, and I will be sure and share that info on our next show. All right, Jim. Well, that sounds like a plan. So if people want to reach out to you, where can they find you? All right. Ah, okay. Uh, people looking to find me. I am over on X, Twitter, and Instagram is Jim Hill Media. Uh, On Facebook, I'm Jim Hill Media News. Uh, What about you, Lauren? Where can they find you? Well, you can find me over on Instagram, or you can email me at lauren at laurenhersey.com. And Mm -hmm. Jim and I want to hear from you. Send us your suggestions, put them in the comments or send us an email and let us know what you want to hear about in future shows. 
Oh, uh, speaking of future shows, uh, if you're following what we're doing over at Patreon with Disney Unpacked, next month is Rock and Roller Coaster, uh, which Jim Shul personally helped pull up out of the ground over at Disney MGM. So, uh, and we'll be following up on that story with stuff that got caught with, uh, get from that episode over on Carry On, and we'll be answering your questions, uh, on the Q&A show. And the lovely Lauren will be joining us again when we do the picture this episode that sort of keys off of photos related to that show uh and jim i am so excited for the rock and roller coaster month that's happening over on patreon like how cool is it that we get to be talking to the guy that came up with the idea and not only came up with the idea but helped bring it to life i mean he was working with aerosmith like how cool is that? So speaking of future shows, what do we have ready for our next show? Well, I, I know you and Eric are headed down to Florida. So I'm, I'm kind of hoping while you're there, you could make a few stomps around Epcot and, and you know, bring back info about some of the merch that's been released uh, out ahead of uh, Flower and Garden this year. Could you do that? Consider it done. And in two weeks, I will show off some of that merch. And maybe you can tell us a thing or two about that cute little orange bird that has become so popular these days. Okay. That sounds like a plan. All right, folks. That's it for today. So for Lauren Hersey, this is Jim Hill. And thank you for listening to I Want That Too. <laughs>